Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, November 15th, 2016. I think we're getting the last bits of our technology problems hammered out. Today was more like normal life. Man, do I love normal life. Normal life is great. Love the routine, the predictability, the grind. It's just glorious. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you slow down, slow, take a deep breath, slow down, slow down, stop, open up your Bible and listen and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Just because somebody is invited to speak at one of the local mega churches or they're a pastor, a vision-casting leader at a very rapidly growing church, or if they've been put on Christian television, that doesn't mean that what they're telling you is true. In fact, more and more nowadays, you know, the more popular somebody is, Uh, the least likely he or she is actually teaching you the truth. And so what this program does is we do the comparative work. We slow down, we stop, we open up our Bibles. Yes, that's right. We actually open them up and we do the comparative work to test to see if what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, Self-proclaimed prophetesses, self-appointed apostles, there are no apostles today, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complexes, those who we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying, whose small group curricula we need to be studying instead of the Word of God. Now, they might throw some out-of-context verses into their small group Bible study curricula, But you're not actually reading your Bible. You're not actually engaging in Bible study. No, you're not. Uh, And we do the comparative work to test and see if what they're saying squares with what God's Word says. Can what they say be verified by going back and putting things in context using sound biblical exegesis, good hermeneutics? And when we do the comparative work, (laughs) so much of this program demonstrates that what we're being fed is far from... God's word, far from the truth, far from what it is that God would have us believe, teach, and confess. I think a good way to think about it is, is that in uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, let me pull this up in my Bible real quick, 2 Timothy chapter 
4, we have this admonition from the Apostle Paul to young Pastor Timothy. Here's what he says. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom to preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And that's the day we live in. But I want you to pay attention to these three words, preach the word. Now you're thinking, well, we all know what preaching is. And I would say, you know, you probably don't. You, you probably don't know what preaching is, especially what the word preach there means in the Greek. Preach the word, the Greek word is keruso, keruso, and keruso has a very specific meaning. Let me read to you what the meaning of keruso is in the Greek. And here's what the main meaning is. To make an official announcement, announce or to make known by an official herald or one who functions as such. In fact, heralds back in the you know, in you know the ancient world, these were guys who had no authority whatsoever to change the message they were given. They were oftentimes the representative of kings or princes or political officials. And um, so when a Caruso, a Caruso would go out and... <laughs> Actually, that they weren't called Carusos, but if a, if a herald would go out and Caruso proclaim or preach, he was given an official message. He had no authority to change the message whatsoever. In fact, it would be treasonous for him to do so. So the idea here is preach the word means, well, well the pastor, the teacher, he's been given a message. It's, the message is from God. And the guy delivering the message has no authority at all to change the message. Uh-huh. So what we do here at Finding for the Faith is uh, we check to see if they're actually proclaiming the word. The word that God would have us hear or if the person in question is uh, making stuff up, teaching for shameful gain, things they ought not to teach, uh, scratching, itching ears and wandering off into myths. We find so much of that's what's been happening you know, out there in the uh, visible church today. So let's talk about what we're going to be doing today on Fighting for the Faith. Uh, we're going to begin with a prophetic holy orders network information exchange syndicate twin spin. Yep. We're going to begin with uh, Ryan Lestrange apparently has a, a new fresh word from from God. And so uh, he, he publishes these things. They're kind of like prophetic horoscope type uh, readings, if you would. And so we're going to listen to the latest fresh word from God, what it is that God really wants us to know from a guy claiming to be a prophet. And uh, and then we're going to be listening to, I, how, do, how do I even pronounce this guy's name? Paul Manwaring. Paul Manwaring. He recently... <clears throat> delivered a speech. I can't say he was preaching because preaching would mean that he was actually delivering a message from God and didn't twist it. But he delivered a speech at Bethel Church. And this is an example. Um, we talked about this on yesterday's episode of Fighting for the Faith, where scripture actually forbids Christians engaging in um, the reading of omens. And this is an example of Omen reading there at Bethel Church from the stage. I don't say pulpit because I don't even think they have one. And uh, we'll probably end up taking a break after that. And then we're going to 
listen to Apostle, you have to put that in air quotes, Apostle Leon uh, Walters as he discusses overcoming impossibilities. And then we have a money-grubbing televangelist update as we listen to Bill Winston uh, and his message, Rising to the Top. It's just crazy what it is we're going to be hearing there. And then in hour number two, we're going to head to Christ's Church of the Valley as we listen to one of the teaching pastors there explain to us the importance of unity and being united. And we're going to test to see if the basis for unity that he's putting forward is what Scripture says or if it's something else. So that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend that you make yourself comfortable. We have a lot of ground we need to cover. And since we're going to begin with the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate Update, that requires us to do this. So I was having this wedding, and and we had, we well, we didn't have, we Shabbat. Mm, Shabbat Shandai. Yeah, that's right. I can't believe it's true. Yeah, that's how, that's Heidi Baker uh, from the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate. And uh, she does <laughs> one of our updates. So uh, we're going to be listening to uh, Ryan Lestrange here. He has uh, apparently a, a YouTube channel where he gives um, something akin to a weekly astrological... Astro- you know, type of readings for the week, kind of the one-size-fits-all type of prophetic word. And uh, so here is Ryan Lestrange from yesterday. That would be Monday's um, <clears throat> prophetic word. Here we go. Hey, everyone. Ryan Lestrange today's Monday word, and my Monday word is divine merge. You know, I believe the Lord is raising up places of transformation, people of transformation, transformational mantles, and what I call eclectic alignments that he's bringing people together. Transformational mantles and eclectic alignments. Wow. Yeah, yeah. You just have to wonder, I mean, uh, if this is really what God's trying to tell us, that, uh, you know, we need to get on board with transformational alignments and eclectic whatevers, you know, because of his divine merge thingy, why didn't he just tell that to one of the apostles or one of the real prophets, the ones who are actually, you know, who have their stuff recorded for us in the written word of God? That you or I might not necessarily put together, that it might not make sense But there's a divine merge happening. And one of the pictures, I want to give you two Old Testament leaders that were key transformational leaders. The first one is David. Right, David, important transformational leader, yeah. All the transformational leadership books point to David, you know. The picture of this comes in 1 Samuel 22, verses 1 and 2. It said, David departed 
and escaped to the cave. But listen to this. It said, there gathered to him everyone that was in distress, everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was disconnected, and he became the captain over them. So there was this divine merging uh, as people began to come together, and they began to be rallied to the mandate upon David's life. They began to be rallied to that sense of a new era, that sense of a new government, because David brought in this prayer government. David brought in this prophetic era. And I believe the Lord is establishing a kingdom era right now. And there is a divine merge that the Lord... The divine merge, because he's establishing a kingdom era right right now, this, this very minute. Merging streams and merging movements that it's the mini... No, 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 no. I saw Ghostbusters, the original one, and you don't want to merge the streams. The, the bad things happen when you do that that are going to become one rushing mighty river. And watch this now. They came into that cave and out of that cave they became mighty men. As God aligned them, as God merged them together under the mandate and the mantle of David, they became mighty men. The second man that I would reference is Joseph. Joseph, Joseph right. Another transformational impartational divine merge guy. Right, yeah. This coat of many colors. I believe there are eclectic alignments happening in this hour. Right, there are eclectic alignments happening right now. I have no idea what that means. Wow. He used the word eclectic in a sentence. Part of this divine merge is part of this divine crossover gifts and and, and abilities and, and anointings and vessels and leaders that you would not put together. It's becoming, uh, God is putting them together. And it's becoming much more of a patchwork tapestry. It's that coat of many colors. The Lord's bringing people from different backgrounds, from different... Yeah, because, you know, Joseph had a coat of many colors. See, that that means now is a time of eclectic divine merge thingies. Right understandings from different streams from different rivers and it's a divine uniting and something's happening something's happening a divine uniting is happening this merge is taking place right lord's connecting you and i want to give you a a word of the lord as we exit this year if you want to give me a word of the lord that would require you to you know open up the bible and rightly handle it i don't hear you doing that ryan and enter in the next year. Look for the divine merge. Yeah, Look yeah. for God bringing people, bringing streams, bringing rivers together in your own life. Look for the Lord bringing you into places you've never been before. Look for the Lord uh, connecting you to somebody that you wouldn't connect yourself to. It's that patchwork tapestry that it, it doesn't make sense, but there's something in this team and this team that when they come together, it goes from addition to multiplication. It's a divine merge. And when, when Joseph uh, embraced his coat of many colors nobody had seen anything like that before so when joseph embraced his coat of many colors yeah don't recall that part of the book of genesis the 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 all-important key moment when joseph embraced his coat of many colors yeah it's eclectic alignments we're gonna unlock realms we've never seen before and- right we're gonna unlock realms man that we i we've never seen these realms before yeah don't know where to see them, but when they unlock, I mean, yeah, wow, you're you're going to be blown away. You're going to unlock momentum we've never experienced before. And even people that we walked with in the previous season, they cannot embrace this because this is going to offend religious thinkers. They're going to say, right, the, the new realms that are open up are going to, those religious thinkers are just going to hate it. You know, in fact, I'm pretty sure that whatever Ryan is talking about, anybody who can actually 
think will hate it because <laughs> what he's saying doesn't make a lick of sense, which is not proof, by the way, that this is from Hol- the Holy Spirit. Um, most likely this is proof that nothing he's saying is from God at all. Wait a minute, this person should not work with this person. This stream shouldn't flow with this stream. But the Lord says this is an hour of the Joseph mantle. This is the, this is the hour, God says, of the Joseph mantle, right? I don't even think Joseph had the Joseph mantle. Power of the coat of many colors that the Lord is bringing eclectic alignments. He's bringing those people. These are not cookie cutter people. These are individual, unique people with unique gifts, unique flows, unique streams. And it's out of this eclectic place that there is an arising of a new sound. It's out of this. New sound is coming. Maybe a sound membrane may be bulging right now. As this new sound is about ready to be released and new dimensions and realms will shake out and, you know, and merge together in the eclectic mantle thing. Right, yeah. Eclectic place, there's an arising of a fresh momentum. It's out of this eclectic place. There's a movement of the power of God that's going to bring transformation because God is bringing an apostolic kingdom people that are about transformation, that are going to shift climates, that are going to shift regions. That are- whole regions will shift. I mean... You're going to have to redraw the map, you know, after the regions are done shifting, you know. Shift territories and bring radical transformation. I believe this is a sign of apostolic maturity. When Yeah, no, actually what you're saying is a sign of complete immaturity and biblical illiteracy. This isn't prophetic. This is pathetic. Embrace different streams, different flows, different functions. I believe in this hour, we are seeing the merging of various streams and various movements. God's been aligning individuals. We've been in a season of finding our tribe. He's been aligning. In- Have you found your tribe yet? I mean, that was the season apparently we were in. Did you find your tribe yet? Individuals with their tribe, but now yeah. there's coming tribal alignments that the Lord. Right. Tribal alignments are coming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. I have no idea what that means either. Uniting this tribe with that tribe. So it is the season of the divine merge. Father, I thank you. Done. Yeah. Sorry, you don't get to pray for us. Wow. So the divine merge is upon us, folks. The eclectic releasing of new realms of from the Joseph mantle thingy that will do the tribe kind of stuff, you know, squish them all, whatever, because of the apostolic. I mean, it's, it's as if he just reaches into like the standard grab bag of so-called prophetic words and then just you know kind of realign them in new sentences and uh, and whammo you've got the one size fits all uh, <laughs> astrological word from god for the week and none of it is actually god isn't speaking through this man god doesn't really actually want you to believe any of this stuff in fact god himself would tell you that this guy is not speaking his words. He's hasn't actually heard from God, and yet he's running as if he has. You should run away from men and women like Ryan Lestrange. Strange indeed is what we're getting. Now, talking about strange, we're still under the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate, and we're heading over to Bethel Church, and we're going to listen to Paul Monwaring. He was a special speaker there at Bethel, and I can't say he was preaching because none of this is from the Word of God. But uh, this is a very good example of the thing that Scripture forbids, the reading of omens. But uh, I'll let Paul explain. Here we go. Well, I had a message until 4 o'clock yesterday morning. I don't know whether it was God or jet lag that woke me up. But when I woke up, God reminded me that uh, we had just been in Stockholm and the room number was 1515. 
And on my computer were the notes of a message called 15 Lessons in 15 Years. And uh, I figured maybe, (laughs) maybe I should do that and not do a whiteboard and try and be clever with a marker and a whiteboard. Now, real quick, that is an example of the reading of an omen. Yeah, that's what that is. And scripture forbids this. Deuteronomy chapter 18, and uh, here's what it says in verse 10. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer. Yep, that's right. The interpreting of omens is strictly forbidden uh, by God's word. And uh, this also appears in the book of... um, in the book of Leviticus, um, in Leviticus 19.26, you shall not interpret omens or tell fortunes. God, God's word expressly forbids what it is that Paul uh, Manwaring is doing here. And um, I, I've titled it this, and it's in, it's, it's in memory of me standing between those two pillars over there, up against the wall, on a Sunday night in about 2002, and Bill came over and uh, doing a prayer time, and he prayed a prayer, and the prayer was, give him what he came here for. And so I've titled this message, Did You Get What You Came Here For? It's me reviewing me, but I also want to challenge you, because you pay a lot of money to get here. A lot of money. People fly from all over the world to get here. And did you get what you came for? Why? Why would they fly from all over the world to go to Bethel? Bill Johnson twists God's word using, uh, you know, Mets, uh, you know, bucket hat, bucket hat fan man, you know, that technique of just nonsensical wordplay. Is, is the reason why people go to Bethel because, oh, there's a special outpouring of healing and stuff like that there? Uh huh. So apparently, um, this is uh, holy relics are available at Bethel Church, and God does things there that you can't get at just ordinary churches where the pastor, you know, rightly handles the word of God. Cool. And uh, I, I have a, an, an end direction, which is, is related to, to some of my current journey. I want to read a, a, a couple of uh, passages. I'm going I'm to paraphrase one of them, Deuteronomy chapter 12. I came here on Deuteronomy chapter 12. I um, won't share the whole story, but fundamentally came here for Sue. It was Sue that had the, the vision to come here, and, and she came here before me in 1999. And two years later, we moved here. I came here on Genesis chapter 12. I was driving to work one day. You went to Bethel in Reading based on Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 is the story of the calling of Abraham to leave his home and go to the land that God has promised him. Man. Beautiful Oxfordshire countryside. And uh, I just had a chat with God in my, in my car. And my, my chat was this. Give me one minute. One man's story of faith that will encourage me to go to Bethel. And, I, and he said to me, as clear as anything, Genesis chapter 12. Now, to me now, it's so obvious that... So God said, oh, Genesis chapter 12, that's why you have to go to Bethel. Again, it's like, what are you talking about? I, I could have made it up kind of a thing, but I, I know I didn't back then. The paraphrase, of course, is leave the land of your fathers. I'm a Brit, in case you hadn't noticed. Um, yeah, who's God speaking to there? Is God speaking to Abraham or to you? 
The answer is he's speaking to Abraham. You know, you know, come to think of it, I mean, I grew up in Southern California. And I live in North Dakota. I must have left the land of my fathers to come to North Dakota. I have fulfilled Genesis chapter 12 and didn't even know it. Uh-huh. Leave the land of your fathers. Go to the land which I will show you. Uh, and I'm not going to read it all, but it includes... Go to the Oak of Mora, which some translations talk about giant trees. I don't know whether you've noticed, but there are some giant trees about 150 miles from here. And, uh, and then it says, <laughs> right, the Oak of Mora. That's, that's actually fulfilled in all of the really large sequoia and redwood trees that are near Bethel Church in, in Redding, California. Uh-huh. Bethel is the Bethel Church in Reading is the real fulfillment of Genesis 12. Go to the the place called Bethel, east of the mountain, and pitch a tent. If that's not clear enough for you, I I can't help you. I just can't help you. But about I don't know three four months ago, I was on a plane and somebody had posted on on Facebook something about Deuteronomy chapter eight, and it was. I can't say I read every time I see the Bible on Facebook, but I decided to read Deuteronomy chapter 8. And it, I, I realized that I came here on, on Genesis 12, and I know that, I know theologically it's the same land, but the wording of it, you just have to understand, was my wording. And it says this, All the commandments I'm commanding you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in, and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. I guess it's time to go home to my father's land. I'll I'll skim quite a bit of it, but um, you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in wilderness. You'll notice here that he's not reading the Bible for what it says, what it reveals, how it points to Christ and the story that's in it. He's reading it as if it's some kind of a, you know, it, 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 you know, if I flip over to this page, there's the omen telling me what I need to do right now. But I don't, it doesn't really matter what the text says. No, 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 no. It, it's, it, it's how it can be understood as an omen for what God is telling and directing me to do at the moment, at this particular moment. Yeah. The years that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not goes on to talk about man not living by bread alone about God disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son talks of going into a good land a land of brooks of water of fountains and springs flowing forth in valleys and hills Genesis 12 was mountains valleys and hills sounds like England to me you mean there are no other countries in the world that have mountains and valleys and hills so what, whatever's going on in Genesis 12, it doesn't refer to anything <laughs> in, you know, in the Middle East. It, it was really pointing us to, to Great Britain the whole time. Yeah. You get valleys and hills here. You get valleys and mountains. The land of wheat and barley. Definitely got some of that going on. We don't have vines, fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey. Well, we have honey. Yeah, you don't have any of that stuff. You need a warmer climate for that. But that's okay. We'll just throw out the stuff that doesn't fit. So that I can make the omen fit, you know, what I think God is saying, yeah. But 
talks about a lamb where you sleep bread. I have to confess, I do prefer European bread to American bread. I'm sorry, I just, I just do. Everybody does. Let's start a revival on bread alone. Let's get European bread in this land. Goes on to talk about houses. It's a strange thing, but in a way, our house here ended up being a tent because of, uh, you know, financial stuff and that sort of thing. It ended up being temporary house and go back and, and, and it, in the King James talks about build goodly houses. It just goes on to talk about just so, so many clear things for us and that, uh, it's your God who's given you the power to make wealth and my power and the strength of my hand, etc., etc. And it was just so clear to me. And, and as I started to, to read that, I, I started to reflect upon these, these elements of, did I get what I came here for? And do you get what you came here for? Uh-huh. Yeah. So you, again, it doesn't matter what the Bible says. I mean, the guy has been trained in the reading of omens. There at Bethel Church, even do, doing it from the stage during a church service, and no one said, "Whoa, wait a second! That's the reading of omens. That's that's forbidden by God." Yeah, because it, it doesn't matter what the Bible. You just twist it and mangle it and try to divine the winds that are blowing in the direction that the Spirit is trying to lead you in right now, and that's the word for now. Not not what the words themselves say or actually mean. Wow, that was breathtakingly awful. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Quick break when we come back. We have um, Apostle Leon Walters on overcoming impossibilities and then Bill Winston on how to rise to the top. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss him. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. Doesn't it bother you how some Christians are quick to argue about theology? Jesus didn't die for correct theology. Wait a minute. Did you catch the double standard in that statement? What double standard? You just said that Jesus didn't die for correct theology. Yeah, so what? Do you believe that statement is accurate? Of course I do. So if you think that statement is accurate, would it be safe to say that you think that statement is correct? Of course I think it's correct. That goes without saying. If I think the statement is accurate I obviously think it's correct. 
I wouldn't have made the statement if I didn't think it was accurate or correct. Did you notice that your statement was making a theological point? Well, yes, I suppose it was. So let me see if I've correctly understood the statement you made. Okay. You said it bothers you how some Christians are quick to argue theology. Yes, that's what I said. It sounds like you're saying that it bothers you that some Christians argue theology in order to prove that something that you believe or have been taught is not correct? Well, um, yes, I guess that's what I was saying. But then you made a theological argument to try to prove that Christians shouldn't argue theology. Well, um, yes. So, on the one hand you say that it bothers you that Christians argue theology in order to prove your theology wrong but then on the other hand, you turned right around and employed a theological argument in order to prove that arguing theology is wrong, that's cheating, you can't use a theological argument in order to prove that arguing theology is wrong, that's like using logic to prove that logical argumentation is wrong or using a mathematical equation to prove that using math is wrong. I knew it. Knew what? You're one of those people. What do you mean by those people? You're one of those people who loves theology more than people. What on earth are you talking about? You're a close-minded blogger who lives in her mother's basement and spends every day in her pajamas on a beanbag typing away on a laptop while eating cheetahs and drinking Mountain Dew. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Warning, uh, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that the reading of omens is not biblical or Christian or something we should be engaging in. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend, truly, I mean this, depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute. Well, an amount that you pick. That's right. You get to pick your rank in our crew. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's made at $24.95 a month. Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. This is a great way to support us. Of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you can do so either by clicking on the Donate button 
Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. And just a reminder, as the holidays are coming up, and they will be here very shortly, um, have you considered... You know, giving pirate Christian radio items, gear, uh, you know, as stocking stuffers and things like that. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com, and click on our bake sale link up at the top of the page. And, you know, some really good gift ideas are Reformanda card game, um, or our new Dead Men Tell No Tales t-shirt, or one of our refrigerator magnets, or our Cairo sticker, or even our... Cairo punk pin. These are all great, uh, you know, great um, Christmas gifts. And of course, we still, we for many years, we've been selling a, a, P, a pirate Christian radio Christmas ornament. All of the proceeds from these go to support Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. So now is the time to be thinking about your Christmas gifts and who it is that you're going to be giving, you know, Pirate Christian Radio gear, you know, things for Christmas. Just want to say that. All right. We need to uh, move along. It's time for a new Apostolic Reformation update. That requires us to do this. Chief, babe, what do you want to do tonight? The same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. The laboratory mice. The team has been sliced. They're pinky, they're pinky and the brain, 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 brain. Before each night is done, their plan will be unfurled. By the dawning of the sun, they'll take over the world. They're pinky and the brain, yes, pinky and the brain. The twilight campaign is easy to explain. To prove their mousy worth, they'll overthrow the earth. They're pinky and the brain, 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 brain. Yep, it's uh, t- one of the things I thought would be kind of fun is just kind of working through all these different people who claim to be apostles and uh, listening to their apostolic messages. I mean, after all, I mean, if you know the Nicene Creed, we believe in one. Holy Christian and Apostolic Church, so you know that means we got to have apostles all up in here. So here's the latest ravings from a self-appointed apostle by the name of Leon Walters, and listen to the the lead-in as he's being introduced. Here we go. Blessed to have such an anointed man of God amongst us. Of course, he is uh, not only uh, a man that I call my friend, he's also my uncle and uh, family, uh, but he's also the key, one of the key corners. So the apostolic is like a family business. Okay. Owns of Christian International. He is of CI Central in Versailles, India. Yeah, a different word comes to mind, though. Um, nepotism. He travels the nations of the earth and carries the spirit of breakthrough upon him. Uh, he's written books about fatherhood. He carries the spirit of breakthrough. Wow, yeah. If only I had that ability, yeah. It's not biblical, but it sounds so important. 
He has that kind of anointing. He oversees uh, one of the largest regions in our network with literally hundreds of ministers in it and just does a wonderful job. Many, many people call him uh, Daddy Walters, our our, our Apostle uh, Walters, and just look to him with that fatherhood anointing. He really has been a right-hand protege to my father, uh, Bishop Hammond, and carried uh, the anointing, lifted up his hands so many times, encouraged me and my wife in times that were difficult. He just has that way of edification and he has a heart of celebration of God's greatness and God's goodness and always speaks the word of the Lord. So give a big hand. Yeah, we'll figure that out. Yeah, if he always speaks the word of the Lord. That means this is a man who is quite the exegete. Every time he goes behind a pulpit, he opens up God's word and rightly handles it and proclaims Christ and him crucified for our sins, teaches what's in accord with sound doctrine. But the man claims to be an apostle. So the chances of him being a good exegete are like zero. And to our own Apostle Leon Walters, he's in the house. Let's get ready to rumble. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Give a shout to the king, can we? (laughs) Amen. Look at somebody and say it's all about him. Praise God, all that we do, amen. Yeah, you can say it's all about him, but I think the him you're referring to is not God or Jesus. I'm pretty convinced after listening to this several times now in prep for the program that the him you're referring to is you. Yeah, we'll see. About him, and it's uh, it truly has been an awesome, awesome conference this year, and uh, just every every speaker, uh, all the worship, everything that was done was all directed in the same direction, amen. And when everything's in tune, everything's going the same direction. It creates a synergy and a power, amen, that brings kingdom release, amen. And so, it- a, a synergy and a power that creates kingdom release, yeah. <laughs> What's the cash value of that? Um, yeah, could you show me the kingdom release doctrine in the Bible, please? It's been an awesome, awesome time. It's a, I always look forward to uh, being with us here at the home headquarters. And uh, it always takes me back to years of pioneering. Amen. So now I just kind of come and sit back and look. Years of pioneering. Apparently he spent time on the uh, on the frontier, you know. Covered wagon and you know things like that. Say, wow! Look at all the workers. Man, we could have used you about thirty years ago. <laughs> Amen. But we're glad you're here for such a time as this. Amen. To help build and um, I, I also, um, you know, some places are always looking uh, at what other people are doing to see how you can do things better. And um, I try to tell churches and pastors. Look at our home headquarters, CI, the Vision Church at Christian International, because it's a prototype of where we're going as as the kingdom. Amen? Really, the Vision Church at Christian International with the Apostle Jane Hammond is a prototype for where the kingdom of God is going? Yeah, then, then the kingdom of God's going down the toilet. I mean, Jane Hammond is just a, a prognosticator of profundities and nonsensical prophetic absurdities. There are wonderful churches, wonderful churches in your city and all about you, and you have wonderful churches. Amen. Never look at just churches around you to try to follow other patterns. You must follow the pattern of your DNA. Amen. You must follow the pattern of your DNA. 
why don't we follow the pattern revealed to us in Scripture? I don't know what you mean by follow the pattern of my DNA. That's kind of absurd. In Acts chapter 2, you kind of get the outline thumbnail sketch of what church is all about. Uh-huh, you do. Um, here, here's what it says in Acts chapter 2.42. They devoted themselves. These would be the new believers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers. Yeah, you know, kind of the four core components of uh, of you know, what the Christian church does. Devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Well, where can you go today to find the apostles' teaching? And don't sit there, well, the Vision Church at Christian International. No, no, Leon isn't a, an apostle. Jane, she's not an apostle either. Uh, devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching, well, we're going to have to go to, you know, like, Matthew and Mark and Peter and Paul. And no, I'm not talking about the Beatles. I'm talking about the authors of the New Testament. That's where you go today to find the apostles' teaching. So devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, this is the written word of God, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, this is the Lord's Supper, and the prayers, kind of an important stuff. So yeah, it you follow the model there in Scripture, and you're going to be just fine. I doesn't sound like you guys are, are are devoting yourselves to the apostles' teaching, at least not the correct apostles. That there's a DNA here, and that's why we try to bring pastors and ministers back to our home headquarters here, amen, to catch that DNA, amen, to... Uh, to uh, uh, st- yeah, apparently, DNA is now an airborne thing, yeah. In their vision and to help them to fulfill the purpose of God's kingdom through them. Amen? Praise God. Well, I want to uh, jump right into a word this morning for time's sake, and I may call out a few people if I do, and you're married, if man and woman. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> amen. Hallelujah. And if I do, amen, you can stand together, all right? But if you're not married... Now, notice he's going to be giving prophetic words near the end of the message. We won't actually get to that part. But if he calls out somebody and says that they're they're married, you, 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 you need to stand up only if you're in a heterosexual marriage. You know, he apparently doesn't have the prophetic insight to know that whether or not somebody's in a heterosexual or a same-sex marriage. Uh-huh. Please don't. All right. Thank you, Lord. Save us. Keep us from being false prophets. All right. Yeah. Um, if you were really hearing from God Almighty, you wouldn't have to worry about that now, would you? Just pointing that out here. That It's quite the uh, mm, confession. Hey, Amen. Praise God. Look at somebody say, God is awesome. <laughs> Amen. And uh, I want to uh, bring a, a different word this morning. And I really, you know, was praying yesterday and through the week, just watching how things were going. Amen. But uh, for some reason, I feel like the Lord has taken me to this word. Amen. Look at somebody and say, overcoming impossibilities by seeing him who is invisible. Overcoming impossibilities by seeing him who is invisible. Uh huh. This doesn't sound like a biblical teaching. And you sure God is the one who told you to teach this? Amen. And so sometimes you can feel alone in your journey, and you can feel you know that God is out there. And uh, you know, I remember I, I thought about writing a book on "Hey God, Are You Out There?" based on my testimony because it was a time in my life when I cried out to God and I felt like God was not hearing me. 
Amen. I went through about 10 years of what I call my dark ages, you know, just crying out to God, but didn't feel like God was hearing me. And so I was going to write a book for my testimony. Hey, God, are you out there? And then somebody wrote a book on, hey, God, are you out there? So <laughs> I said, well, they must not need mine. All right. But anyway, uh, you go through that time. You go through that place. Amen. But overcoming through seeing him who is invisible. Amen. With God, the invisible is made visible. Say the invisible is made visible and the impossible is made possible. <laughs> and I want which text are you exegeting again? Creed to you this morning that all things are possible to those who believe. Amen. Um, you're going to decree that all things are possible to those who believe. Huh. Yeah. There may be a biblical text that says something very close to that. Um, so how is it that you're decreeing and declaring? Yeah, while well, we continue. You may have a moment, you may have a season, you may have a, a, a session in your life when it feels like uh, you're walking through that place alone. I've heard Bishop Hammond's testimony repeatedly and I've watched him, amen, literally go through times of ministry uh, when crying out to God and feeling like, you know, God, are you out there? Knowing that he is, amen, looking past that impossibility, amen, to see the invisible God and know that he is very present, amen, know that that is invisibility is represented a man in your life's blood i was in a prayer meeting in our church uh, just a few months back and uh, as a matter of fact i was there all by myself it was about six o'clock in the morning and i felt like the lord began to uh, speak to me about begin to reinitiate uh the um early morning prayer and so the Lord said, I want you to get up early and I want you to be in prayer at 6.30 till 9 o'clock. Amen. So I started a new prayer Mondays through Fridays. Amen. Uh, being in prayer from 6.30 till uh, 9 o'clock. And uh, so I figured to be in prayer by 6.30, I had to get up at 5.45. Amen. Because it takes me 45 minutes to, amen, get ready. Amen. It and- takes you 45 minutes, amen, to get ready. Amen. Amen. Because I discovered if I don't do that first, then I never get back at 9 o'clock to get ready for the day. Amen. So you have to get ready early in the morning. Amen. Amen. But as I went to the church and I began to pray. How is it that your morning routine is going to help build up the saints in what it is that God would have us believe, teach, confess, and do? I begin to uh, just cry out to God every way that we know how to pray. Amen. I, I beat the floor. I beat the air. I kick my feet. I, you know, pick. You shadow box while you pray. Okay. Banners and, you know, made to make that noise, you know, of the rushing wind. Hallelujah. And bluish. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah. What am I missing here? I've, I've never tried to make the sound of a rushing wind while praying. Far, uh, you know, that was just sounded awful. Amen. But <laughs> I should say I tried to blow it. Amen. You tried to blow the shofar, right? Yeah, that that'll get God's attention. But make a joyful noise, hallelujah. It made me laugh, so it must have been joyful. Amen. So, uh, but trying to do everything I could just to pray, to break through. And then it was like God just reached down and put his hand on my shoulder. And he said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, wait. I'm not wanting you to pray like you have in the past. He said, I want you to come to pray to have intimacy with me. (laughs) So how exactly were you praying in the past that was so prohibitive of intimacy? (laughs) 
Apparently, this is quite the indictment against the way you used to pray. I want you to pray to me, pray about me, or pray for me. I want you to come and talk to me. Amen. And that really challenged me to sit down or to walk and to pray and to begin to talk to God like he was sitting right in front of me. You know, yeah, he finally figured it out. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes we get God so mystical, mythical, so far away from us, amen, that he is not visible. Amen. But we're going to talk. Right. So as soon as you can get God to be not mystical, then he becomes visible rather than invisible. Uh huh. Notice um, these are just his ideas. These are man made ideas. These are man made doctrines, man made concepts. None of this is actually taught in Scripture regarding how we as Christians are to pray. And it was based on a direct revelation. Of course, you know, he is an apostle. So I'm sure that, you know, he has one of those red phones sitting on his desk that, come, that goes straight to, to God's throne. Yeah, I, I'm sure of it. I mean, no doubt in my mind. Uh-huh. Moving along. Don't want no loving. Don't want no kissing. Don't want no gal to call me honey. Don't want my name in the Hall of Fame. Just want a big fat pile of money. Give me that almighty dollar for that lettuce. Hear me holler. Give me buckets full of ducats. Let me walk around and waller in Mazuma. Elder Narrow, wanna be a millionaire. Give me money, 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 money. I want that green ammunition. That's the stuff for which I'm wishing. Fill my closets with deposits. I'm a demon in addition. Give me shekels, give me pesos. Let me see their smiling faces. Money, 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 money. Wanna get me a suit that's made out of loot and whistle for wearing it green. I got that monetary itis like speeches like King Midas. Want that golden touch is what I mean. Give me that old double eagle. Want that tender that is legal and financially substantially. Any sum I can and beagle. Want a living regal splendor for that loving legal tender. Money, 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 money. Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Teeth and money, 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 money. That's what Bill Winston's really all about is money, money, money. And so we're going to be listening to uh, Bill Winston as he tries to explain to us what exactly that Job did wrong that caused, well, him to lose everything? Mm-hmm. Yeah, here's uh, Bill Winston to introduce his teaching on blessing fulfills your destiny, rising to the top. Here we go. Hello, I'm Bill Winston, and welcome to another program. The program that you're watching is called The Believer's Walk of Faith, where we walk by faith and not by sight. Praise God. Well, we have another exciting teaching today. We're teaching on rising to the top. Now, what- right, yeah, that, that all-important biblical teaching on rising to the top. Jesus says the one who finds his life will lose it. That's what he says. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I, oh yeah, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Jesus said, "Yeah, rising to the top." I'm. Are you sure that's a biblical teaching? We're saying rising to the top because God wants you and I, as believers, to be in a place of influence. Why? Oh, really? He does. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, I, the the gospel text for this past Sunday. You know, I follow a lectionary, which means. You know the when I preach at Kongsvinger, the, which is a congregation that I serve, the uh, the texts are assigned, and so this this frees them from the potential of uh, a tyranny, if you would. You know, me just only preaching on those texts that I'm comfortable with, and uh, the tag the gospel text for this past Sunday 
was the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21. Now, so he says that God wants you to rise to the top so that you can have influence, right? Yeah, the, the importance of influence. But here's what Jesus says. Um, in Luke chapter 20, 21, Luke chapter 21, and uh, <laughs> it was, I'll start at verse 11. This is Luke's version of the uh, Olivet Discourse. Jesus says, there will be great earthquakes and ver- in various places, famines and pestilences. There's going to be terrors, great signs from heaven. These are the signs of the end of the, of the, end of the world. But before all of this, they're going to lay their hands on you and they're going to persecute you. Delivering you up to the synagogues and the prisons, you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity, Jesus says, to bear witness. The uh, the Greek word for bear witness there is martyreo. Mm-hmm. It's where we get the word martyr from. Um, and so settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You'll be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will even put to death. Yeah, you're going to be hated by all for my name's sake. Uh-huh. That's what Jesus says about us Christians in the last days. So my question immediately is, um, are you sure that it's necessary for Christians to rise to the top in order to have influence? Because Jesus says you're going to have influence after everyone hates you and then you're arrested and put in prison for being a Christian. But don't worry, on the day you have to give your defense, don't even think about, don't even plan ahead of time what to say. God's going to speak through you. So influence comes by being imprisoned for Jesus and hated. Uh huh. It doesn't sound like we're going to rise to the top in this world. Jesus says you're going to be hated by everybody. Well, that just totally flies in the face of whatever it is Bill Winston's teaching here. We're to direct people back to Christ. That's what it's all about. In this teaching, here's a couple of points you might want to think about. Keep worry out. The Bible says don't worry about a thing. Why? Because it violates the terms of the blessing agreement. In other words... What? Worrying violates the terms of the blessing agreement? Where's this blessing agreement in Scripture? Worry will stop the blessing from operating in your life. You can be just as blessed as Abraham. Matter of fact, you can be just as blessed as I am. Praise God. Oh, yeah. I'm sure you're really blessed there, Bill. You think you are, though, but you're not. Because on the day of judgment, you're going to have to explain all your false teachings and the stuff that you taught for shameful gain, you know, stuff like that. This isn't a blessing. It's a judgment. Came to the city with $200 in Chicago. But look what God has done. Wow. The blessing is on my life. Now you can- right. Yeah. The blessings on his life. He never worries about anything and doesn't, he never violates the terms of the blessing agreement. You know, you can find the terms of the blessing agreement in, um, um, uh, well, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it's in there somewhere, I'm sure. I mean, this guy's a man of God, right? Just as blessing, blessed as me. As a matter of fact, you are. But not see the benefit of that blessing yeah. by worry. Right. See, you, you're blessed, but you may not see the benefit, which means a very well-padded bank account with lots and lots of zeros, uh, unless you stop worrying. Yeah. You know, I have a script that I pray almost every day. Oh, I'm sure. That I don't worry about a thing. Just about every day I try to keep worry completely out of my life. Yeah, don't worry, be happy. Yeah, that's that that'll that'll keep the uh, the terms of the blessing agreement intact, you know. 
Get your Bibles and pencils and papers ready. Let's go into it. It's a powerful teaching. It's called Rising to the Top. Right, yeah, powerful teaching. Rising to the Top. Uh-huh. Already so, we're off on a bad Joe, foot. So here he was, had three, three daughters and seven sons. And then, He's in Job chapter 1 there. That's, his sons went and feasted in their houses, everyone his day, and sent and called for their three sisters and to eat and to drink with them. And it was so, when the days of their feasting was, were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them. And he rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. All right, and this is where we take off right here. Now, what was happening with Job with this? Now, his kids were obviously not showing the same reverence to God as he was, which is probably in many cases today. So let's see how Job handled this, because this is a teaching for us. The Bible says that the word of God is profitable for instruction in righteousness. And so we're going to look at this and see a mistake perhaps that Job made that we're not going to make. Uh-huh. It's as if Bill Winston hasn't actually read the book of Job. The reason I say that is because, you know, Job's whole life goes, well, to hell in a handbasket. I mean, just goes kaput. And there's a reason for it, and the scriptures actually tell you the reason. But what Bill Winston's doing is he's actually trying to come up with a theological reason why Job got cursed the way he was. And he's doing so in a way that is quite reminiscent of Job's comforters who were absolutely convinced that what had befallen Job was a, a, a was the result of something that he had done. But that's not the case at all. Let's take a look, at least by something he'd done wrong. Job 1, verse 1. Let's read a little bit, and we'll kind of see this. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Hmm. Verse 1 doesn't make it sound like there's anything wrong with him. Blameless. Now, does that mean he's sinless? No, but blameless before God means he's righteous by grace through faith. There were born to him seven sons, three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was great of all of the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house uh, of each one uh, on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before Yahweh, and Satan also came among them. Now in this context, the sons of God are going to be the angels. And Yahweh said to Satan, 
From where have you come? Satan answered Yahweh and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And Yahweh said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered Yahweh and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions and have increased in the land, increased him in the land, but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And Yahweh said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of Yahweh. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and then there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell on them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. So literally, I mean, Satan executes his plan. Now, what's the reason why all of this is happening to Job? Because of God's great love for him. Yeah, that's the reason why. The text is very clear that he was blameless before God. That he had true faith. And he turned from evil because of his faith. This is, this is what we know. So isn't it fascinating that Bill Winston literally is engaging in the theology of Job's comforters, trying to find fault with Job. And so that we can learn the opposite, so that we can rise to the top. Let's see what he does, because he's going to end up twisting this text. Right. So, now, in this, Job did this continually. Now, understand what was after Job, the devil. The devil was after Job, because Job was the richest man in the East. And this, this kept multiplying he was going to be the richest man in the East and the West. Um, you'll notice that uh, he's not exegeting the story of Job. Uh, the devil makes it clear what the issue here is, and that is, is that God has blessed him. It's not that he's wealthy. It's that he is blameless, and it's God who actually brings Job to the devil's attention. He's going to have more influence. So the enemy's got to stop his rise like he tried to stop Joseph's rise. But if you hang on to the blessing and have confidence in what God said this blessing will do for you. Uh, what are you talking about? That this blessing will turn your mourning into joy. What blessing are you referring to? Into dancing. All right, so what happened? Now... Satan has got Job offering this every day. Now, what is Job getting into? Satan has Job making offerings to God every day? That's a lie. As he's sacrificing every day and praying for these kids. He's getting into worry. 
All right, let's look up here. Look at a couple of scriptures. Let's look over here. Matt. He's getting into worry. The text doesn't say anything about him being worried. This gospel, please. Matthew 6 and verse 25. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life. Stop. Let's look at that same scripture in another translation, please. This is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Not to worry. So he's telling them, don't worry about a thing. Don't worry about this everyday life. Now that's for you. Let's go to another scripture. Let's go to Philippians chapter 4 verse 6. Over in Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 he says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known unto God. Now, let's take that scripture and put it up there in the Good News Bible or Living Bible Translation. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. So right there, don't worry about what? Anything. But suppose it's the kids, Lord. Suppose it's the kids. Come on, come on. Don't worry about anything. Now, if I violate the commands of God, I won't get something. <laughs> you violate the commands of God every single day, Bill Winston. So do I. Uh-huh. Notice there's a, well, a blessings of God via works uh, theology going on here. Look what he says in Deuteronomy chapter 28. And it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently to the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all his commandments, which I command thee this day. This is Mosaic covenant. Yeah, these televangelists, these, these prosperity preachers, always go to the fine print of the Mosaic covenant and fail to tell you that we're not under the Mosaic covenant. That the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. Watch this. And all these, all these, all these blessings shall come on you. And if thou shalt hearken to the voice. Well, his voice just told you something. Don't. Yeah, hearken to the voice of the Lord. This is the fine print again of the Mosaic covenant. Mm-hmm. Which has been fulfilled by Christ. We're no longer under the Mosaic Covenant. It's been fulfilled. Worry about anything. Don't I don't care how serious it is. I don't care what the doctor just said. I don't care what your checkbook just said. I don't care if you just missed the airplane. I don't care whatever it is. Don't worry. Yeah, don't worry. Otherwise, you won't get the blessings of the Mosaic Covenant. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, now you can see it. So he's literally arguing that Job, the reason why Job lost everything is because he was worrying about his kids. Mm -hmm. See, that's the thing that caused him to lose all his blessings. 
Wow. Yeah. He, uh, Bill Winston would have been a, a, a perfect example of one of Job's so-called comforters. You know, there's nothing comforting that he's offering here. Just absolute deception and a false theology of works righteousness rather than salvation by grace through faith. What a mess. All right, so we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you could subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. We're heading down to Phoenix to Christ Church of the Valley and listening to a sermon about unity. Is it biblical unity? Well, we're going to find out. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Living a life of purpose can't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. (laughs) To err is to heretic. To R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Number two of Fighting for the Faith Sermon Review Time. 
With the world coming apart as the, at the seams, there's going to be calls for unity within the church. But we can't unite when there's certain things in the way. We'll talk about that as our sermon develops today, but let's do this right. the ugly we review it all here at fighting for the faith we're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service today's sermon uh comes to us via christ church of the valley they're a multi-site church out there in the phoenix area we're going to be listening to a sermon titled united delivered by teaching pastor ashley woolridge now we're going to note here that scripture makes it clear there are certain people whom we cannot unite with We'll see if uh, Ashley and his call for unity will be giving us, well, the biblical grounds for unity, or if he's going to eschew what the Bible says regarding unity in order to have unity for the sake of unity, which is not the biblical unity that we're called to. So let's unite together here as we listen to this sermon and uh, see if we can make heads or tails of it. Let me back off on the music. And without any further ado, here is Ashley Woolridge from Christ Church of the Valley in his sermon titled United. Well, last Wednesday morning, our nation woke up more divided than maybe any other time in recent history. I mean, you've got protests going on on the streets to Miley Cyrus and Barbara Streisand threatening they're going to move to Canada now. Uh, I hope they do. I- I didn't, I didn't see him get on the plane yet, but um, maybe they will. You know, most, most experts agree that this was the most divisive election since Abraham Lincoln ran for president in 1860. It's amazing. Yet, you know what's really interesting to me? Hours after the election was over, you had leaders from across the country calling for one thing. Here's the thing. Trump called for this one thing in his acceptance speech. Hillary Clinton, in her concession speech, she called for the exact same one thing. Wednesday morning, the early hours, Tim Cook emails every single employee at Apple. And he says, this one thing is the only way to move forward. And then the Wall Street Journal reported this last week, that CEOs from across the country, from Starbucks to J.P. Morgan, they got all their employees together and they said, we have to have this one thing moving forward. Do you know what the one thing was? You know what it was. Look, it was unity. It was unity. I mean, get this. Jesus, his very last prayer on earth, we have recorded in the book of John, chapter 17. It gives us Jesus' last prayer before he dies the next day. What do you think Jesus prayed for? He prayed for this exact same thing, for unity. I mean, think about your life. If you knew you were going to die tomorrow and you had one last prayer to God, is this what you'd pray for? No, some of you pray what I'd pray. You know, if you're married, you'd pray that if your spouse got married again, she'd marry someone really ugly. All right, that's what you'd pray. So, isn't there something in us, though, that understands the power and the possibilities behind this word, unity? Um, yeah, that's a subjective argument. You just turned everybody in on themselves. 
isn't there something in us that we all know? Yeah, th- this is not a biblical argument, dude. You, if we're going to talk about unity, we need to understand where the limits of Christian unity are, because there are limits. Think about your own life. You ever been a part of a work culture that doesn't have unity? There's backstabbing and all this divisiveness. It's toxic, isn't it? You ever been a part of a family that doesn't have unity? That's where some of you parents are right now. I mean, your kids, they're bickering, they're fighting. It just drives you nuts. Or maybe with your extended family, there's some sort of division that's creeped in somewhere because someone did something or someone's mad about something. And so the whole family's divided. I mean, it's terrible, isn't it? How excited are you? If that's you, you're in that that boat. How excited are you to get around the Thanksgiving table here in a few weeks? (laughs) No, you're not. Uh, Maybe you're part of a blended family. And man, you have the X and, and man, it's all sorts of division and tension. You ever been a part of a sports team that doesn't have unity? This is probably in my own life personally where I've seen the power of unity kind of play through maybe the the most. I was doing the rough math this last week and from age five until now, I've played on at least 100 sports teams, just played on so many teams growing up. And here's my conclusion from all those teams in unity. I'll put in an equation for you. Extreme talent athletically on a team with a bunch of players minus unity equals what? That's a losing team. My junior year in college, I was playing collegiate volleyball at the time on a team, and I'm telling you, it was one of the most extremely talented teams I'd ever played on in my life. We should have dominated, yet we had all this division on the team for all these different reasons. We couldn't even win a game that season. I mean, we lost so many games. The opposite's true, though. I mean, look at this. Average talent on a sports team plus a lot of unity equals what? It's a winning team. My senior year, we lost almost all of our best players. Notice I'm still on the team, okay? Senior year, (laughs) pretty average at best. But we had average talent. I'm telling you, we were pretty average, but we had extreme unity. And we won twice as many games that year as the year before. I think one of the greatest examples professionally of this phenomenon of what unity does to a sports team happened in the 2014 NBA Finals. Anybody remember the NBA Finals in 2014? You had the Miami Heat pitted against the San Antonio Spurs. And on paper, it shouldn't have even been close. Let me show you what on paper it looked like. Here you have the Miami Heat. Okay, You had the big three. Remember the big three got together? LeBron and Dwayne and Bosh. I mean, look what LeBron averaged that year. Now notice, his argument so far has nothing whatsoever to do with the Bible except for that Jesus prayed that they would all be one. This theology thus far is actually an experiential theology based upon our experiences with sports teams. Uh-huh. Points a game, wave 20, 16. Then they had one of the best shooters, probably who will go down as one of the best shooters in NBA history in Ray Allen. And then you had the San Antonio Spurs. You got two old guys kind of washed up, right? Tony Parker and Tim Duncan, they're at the end of their careers. I mean, Parker averaged 17 points that year, Duncan 15. Then they had this like quasi rookie still, hasn't done much in the league, 13 points a year. I mean, you look on paper, who's going to win that series? It shouldn't even have been close. Do you remember what happened? The Spurs won the series four games to one. And statistically, they produced the highest offensive output of any team in NBA history, finals history. Amazing. You know why? Unity. I'll give you one example. 
the Spurs passed the ball to each other in that NBA Finals history, or it's that series, 150 times on average per game more than the Miami Heat. 150 times more they passed the ball to each other. And what happened to this team when they lost? They broke up. They split up and went their own ways. But listen, unity doesn't just matter in the business world, in your family, in athletics. It's critical to the church. You ever been a part of a church that doesn't have unity? I have. It's amazing what happens. When I went off to Bible college, uh, I'd seen so much of this in, in, in small churches I'd grown up in that the very last paper I wrote in Bible college, I actually still have it to this day. It was this capstone class we had to take called Biblical Theology. You had to write this big thesis paper, you know, proving that you learned everything that they taught you the last four years. So I wrote this last paper, and you had to pick a topic. Here's the topic I chose. How can the church be united? While there might be division... Now, I need to point this out. This is critical for understanding this. He started out, have you ever been in a church? That's a congregation that hasn't been united. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been a part of that, too. That's just some nasty stuff here. And then his paper is on how the church can be united. Is he talking about an individual congregation, or is he talking about the visible church broadly all across the world? Uh-huh. So he went from a narrow sense to a the widest sense possible, which would include uniting with Rome, with the Eastern Orthodox, uniting with Mormons, they claim to be Christians, you know, things like that. Out there, in our world, our nation, other places. Here's what I want you to know. There cannot be division inside these walls and inside the heart of the church. And here's why. Listen carefully. The church is the hope of the world. Yeah, I thought Christ was. And a divided church is an ineffective church. Um, weird because uh, scripture actually anticipates the division. And the division is caused by those who refuse to abide by sound doctrine and instead impose their theology and their ideas as doctrines in the church. I put it this way. The church is only as strong as it is united. So the question I want to answer today is, how can we as a church and the church at large, how can we stay united? How can we stay unified together? How can we make Jesus's last prayer on earth our first priority? And to answer that today, what I want to do is I just want to look into scripture at who I think is the expert on church unity. It's a man named uh, Paul. It's the apostle Paul. Because in the New Testament, no one started more churches than the apostle Paul. When he started churches, uh, he oftentimes wrote letters to them. And so we have those letters recorded for us in the New Testament. Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament, or much of it. And so we have all these letters recorded for us. And when you start reading the, the writings of Paul to these churches, you see that he's constantly having to fight against some divisions that are popping up in the church. And so we're going to look specifically at the church today, how we can stay united. But I'm telling you, the principles we'll look at today, they apply to any situation. They apply to families, businesses, uh, sports teams, you name it. And so what I want to do is I want to look today first at at one of the letters Paul wrote called 1 Corinthians. So if you have a Bible, open to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 
the background here is that Paul started the church in Corinth, which is now in modern uh, Greece. And when he started the church in Corinth, he got them all, all laser focused. And then he left to go start ch- uh, planning other churches. And when he left, he was in a, a city called Ephesus. He got a report of some divisions in Corinth. And so he, he writes him a letter and tries to address these. And we have it recorded for us. Some amazing examples. So if, if you have your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians, if you don't have a Bible, I'm going to put this uh, scripture on the screen. No problem. But we're going to pick up in uh, verse 10 of chapter 1. Here's what Paul says. He says, hey guys, I want to appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you. I just want to point out, why would Paul appeal in the name of Jesus? I mean, why wouldn't he just say, hey guys, I want to tell you as your leader, like you need to not be divided, but he appeals to the name of Jesus. And we'll talk about this more in a moment, but right up front, I want you to know that the reason he does that is because in a church, anytime a church takes their eyes or their focus off Jesus, divisions start. Always. So Paul appeals in the name of Jesus. Then he goes on. He says this. He gives them the goal for every church. I don't want you to be divided, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Perfectly united. Where were they divided? Well, he goes on to address that. Verse 11, he says, My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there's quarrels among you. In other words, he got the support from Chloe's household. This is kind of like you parents, you're sitting in another room and your kids run in and they say, so-and-so's fighting. Right, same thing's happening to Paul. Chloe's household comes and reports and gives the support to Paul that there's this, these bitter divisions going on. That's what that word means. And so then Paul, what, what was it? He hits it head on in the next verse, verse 12. He says, what I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. And another, I follow Christ. Now, don't don't miss what's going on here. Here, Here's what was happening. Paul started the church, got him laser focused on Jesus. He left. And when he left, another pastor and preacher came into town called Apollos. His name was Apollos. We know he was an amazing pastor, probably an amazing man. Really great communicator from what we know from scripture. And then at some point, another pastor or preacher likely come into the the town of Corinth. His name was Cephas. This is just another word for the disciple, Peter. So this was Peter that came in. And so you had kind of these three teaching pastors that had come into the church in Corinth. It's weird. What, what other church do you know that has three teaching pastors? <laughs> so some said, nah, I, I want to be like, I follow him. No, I follow him. And then you had this fourth group that said this, well, I follow Christ, to which at first on face value, you'd be like, well, that's the group to be in. They got it right. Don't be deceived. This was a group that basically said this, well, I don't need to listen to any pastor and I don't need the church. I can do it on my own. Isn't it interesting? Yeah, where are you getting that about that fourth group? I'd, I'd just like to see the biblical data where you're getting that from. Here we are 2,000 years later, and the same issues boil up in churches all across America. I mean, you have people that latch on to a personality too much, or you have people that say, I don't need the church at all. I can stay home. It's just me, my Bible, and Jesus. That's all I need. And they say, Yeah, that's kind of absurd because the person who stays home and never goes to church and says, All I need is my Bible and Jesus they wouldn't be causing divisions in church because they wouldn't be there. They need the church and they don't go to church. To which I'm thinking, really? 
What, what Bible are you reading? Because <laughs> the Bible I read makes it crystal clear that every single one of us that call ourselves a follower of Jesus, we need to be engaged and involved in the local church. Period. There's no Lone Ranger Christians at all. So what's Paul going to do? You got these four divisions that pop up in the church. How's he going to unify them? I mean, what's he going to do? Let me tell you what he doesn't do. He doesn't try to argue with them which pastor that was the best. I mean, think about how easy this would have been for Paul to do. He could have been like, guys, listen, I'm Paul. I mean, I started the thing, okay? I was there from the very, very beginning. I mean, give me some credit. You should be following me. He doesn't do that. Here's why. Paul knows what we need to know. He knows, he knew that church unity erodes the moment we focus on anyone or anything other than who? Jesus. So what's Paul do? He immediately focuses them back on Jesus, not a person. Listen to how he does it, starting in verse 13. He says this, hey guys, is Christ divided? To which they would answer, well, no, of course, I mean, Christ isn't divided. That's kind of a weird question, Paul. He goes, okay, well, let me go on. Uh, Was Paul crucified for you? How about Apollos? No. Peter? No, they weren't. Okay, how about this? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Well, no, I was baptized in the name of Jesus. Exactly. He points them back to Jesus. And here's what he was telling them, and here's what he tell us today. (laughs) Never put a pastor or a personality as a substitute for Jesus. Do you know how easy this is to do? I mean, here at CCV, listen, I think we have one of the best church staffs in the country. Now, I'm not going to argue with him. I think he's right-ish. I mean, yeah, that's right. You don't want to put a pastor above Jesus. I agree. I think we have some of the best teaching in the country. But here's what we know. We are here to teach you Jesus, not to be Jesus. Can I repeat that? We are here to teach Jesus, not to be Jesus. Because any time you put your hope or you start to latch on to a personality, you will be disappointed long term. And also it will cause divisions in the church. Indeed, this is true. And I, you know, I would point to the cult of personalities out there. And how many of those personalities have totally and utterly flamed out? Think of Driscoll and others like him. Last week, I traveled to Birmingham, Alabama for this gathering uh, of a, it was a real small group of, but it was the largest churches in the country, the largest churches in America today. There's about 15 churches represented. And we were all, you know, diving into and, and understanding what's going on with the church in America today and how we can help each other. One of the churches began to explain that one of their pastors had had a step down And they said it caused all sorts of divisions in their church. People left the church. Why? Because they'd put their hope and trust in a personality over Jesus. Paul says, don't ever let that happen. So that's something we can learn about how we can stay united here at CCV. Let's keep our focus on Jesus. But Paul knew that the only thing that dividing the church wasn't just that they were putting their hope in a personality. He knew there were all sorts of other things dividing the church as well. I mean, and the same thing happens in the American church today, too. 
I mean, you look at studies that have been done on what divides churches in America today, and, and you get a whole laundry list of things. At the top of the list, you know what's at the top of the list? Oftentimes, it's music style. It's the pastor's leadership. That's all sorts of like different theological ideas or power. Who's got the power? You know what else shows up on the list? How to decorate the church. Seriously, churches are dividing over that. Because you know what's amazing? The more you dive into what divides churches, the more you see this. That what often divides churches has nothing to do with salvation. It has nothing to do with whether this belief you have makes a difference in whether you get to spend eternity in heaven. It has nothing to do with salvation. For example, how many of you here, your kind of favorite music or you just really love country music? Go, go ahead and raise your hand or shout out. How many love country music? All of our campuses. That's cr- you know, it's weird to me that he isn't actually going to the clearest passage in Scripture that explains where divisions in the church really come from. Mm-hmm. It's found in the epistle of Jude. We're going to take a look at it, and we're going to read it in context, which means we're going to read through most of it, maybe not all, of the, uh, the epistle of Jude. So let's take a look. Jude, starting at verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain peoples have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people, also relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, blaspheme the glorious ones. Now notice here, Jude is describing the false teachers who've crept in to the church. That's what he's saying. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you, but these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Yeah, notice that these people are basically following their theological instincts, and that's leading them astray. And then Jude says, Woe to them! For they walked in the way of Cain, abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Korah's heir and Balaam's heir, and perished in Korah's rebellion. So here in verse 11, Jude gives us three prototypes of, of false teachers. Cain is a guy who just went through the motions but didn't have faith. He can say religious action without actual faith in God. Okay, Balaam, a prophet for hire. That's what Balaam was. Korah refused to abide by and be subject to the way God instituted things. And, and so these are prototypes of, of, uh, the, of the heretics, of, 
of those who depart from sound doctrine. Here's what Jude then says. These are hidden reefs at your love feast. They feast with you without fear. Shepherds who feed only themselves. They are waterless clouds swept along by winds. They are fruitless trees and laid on them. They are twice dead and uprooted. Wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. They are wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, The Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, they're malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters showing favoritism to gain an advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions. They are worldly people devoid of the Spirit. You see, it's the false teachers, those who go in the way of Cain, try to profit the way Balaam did or perish in Korah's rebellion, these are the ones who are the ones causing divisions in the body of Christ. And I would even argue that what um, our, uh, our, our sermonizer today is failing to see, Mr. Woolridge, is that that many of the churches he's describing who are splitting over carpet and you know music styles and stuff like that, they actually fit into the category of Korah's rebellion. And yeah, what they're doing in their church is a result of their false theology already. That's what's in play. But let me continue reading. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the, the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you. From stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to our only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. So Jude, verse 19, says it is the false teachers who cause division among us. It is the false teachers. Uh huh. It's exactly what he says. Second John, if you haven't read that epistle, it's worth rereading. It's a quick read. Was written to the elect lady. This is a woman who is a Christian who basically is a patron of Christianity and a church is meeting in her home. And here's what John writes to her. Uh, to the elder, the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver, is the deceiver and the antichrist. So watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead 
and does not abide in the teaching of Christ, does not have God. So the, the, this, is, this is a type of deceiver here. One who, does, who goes on ahead and doesn't abide in the teaching of Christ, which is only available for us in the written word of God. This is one who does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has the, both Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house. And in this case, house is actually referring to a home church. Don't receive him into your church or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. So Scripture gives us some very clear dividing lines, and those who do not abide in the teaching of Christ and go on ahead, those who are deceivers, those who are like Cain or like Balaam or like Korah, uh-huh, yeah, you, you get what I'm saying here, is that Scripture gives some very, very clear instruction as to who's causing the divisions, it's the false teachers. And with the false teachers and the divisions they cause comes all kinds of worldliness because false doctrine is incapable of producing the fruit of the Spirit. But we continue. I think you get to go to heaven. I think. As long as you let Jesus take the wheel. Some of you are like, what's that mean? Ask your country music friends. Okay, they'll... They'll, they'll explain it to you. So many beliefs that we have that we latch onto that have nothing to do with whether you're a follower of Jesus and going to spend eternity with him. The other thing we, we understand about what divides churches is this, is that the Bible has nothing definitive to say about the topic. So many topics that the Bible doesn't have anything definitive to say that we all of a sudden elevate to some super status. Um, the Bible has nothing definitive to say about the topic of what often divides churches. I just read for you Jude 19 that says it's the false teachers that cause divisions within the church. That's quite definitive. Wow. Yeah, I can't even unite with him on his definition of unity. Weird. Think about all these things. I mean, what, what you should be able to wear to church. I mean, what Bible translation you should be able to use? What ministry programs the church should offer that you prefer and you want? I mean, if you should be able to get a tattoo or end times theology. I mean, none of these things are, are definitively defined in the Bible, and yet we make them a really big deal, and they divide churches. Listen, for the church to have unity, we all don't have to think alike, and we all don't have to look alike. Um, unity of the faith once delivered to the saints. Unity in doctrine is actually called for explicitly in Scripture. What you're saying is absolutely diametrically opposed to what Scripture says, even what I just read. Here at CCV, we have so much diversity. I love it from ages and races and stages and backgrounds. That's the way the church should be. You don't have to all think alike. In other words, I would say it this way. Unity does not equal uniformity. It never equals uniformity. Um, then why does the Apostle Paul in Titus say to Titus that he is to rebuke those who contradict sound doctrine? Yeah, he wants them silenced. And he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in saying that. Uh, this is just weird. Um, I'm hearing... Two different messages. Uh, the message I hear from Scripture is not the same message I'm hearing from Mr. Woolridge. 
That's why when Paul was talking about unity to the church in Ephesus, he said these words. This is what he said. Listen up. Chapter 4, he said this. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. You know what that phrase, bearing with one another, means? Literally, it means this. Put up with one another in love. You ever had to put up with anybody? Some of you are putting up with someone right next to you right now. Some of you are difficult to put up with. Why would Paul tell us inside the church that we're going to have to put up with other people? Think about that. Then he goes on, verse 3. He says this, make every what? Effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So think about this. Paul says, hey, you're going to have to put up with people in the church, and it's going to take tons of effort on your part to keep unity. Why would he say that? Because Paul's not some naive idealist. He knows that if you're a part of a local church, there's going to be things done and people inside the church that you disagree with and you don't see it eye to eye with. But you can still have unity. Can I tell you one group of people here at CCV, we have a lot to thank for our unity as a church. It's the people across all of our campuses that are a little bit older. We have so many ages. I love it. But those that are a little bit older attending all of our campuses, if you ask them today, hey, do you love the music style at CCV? <laughs> you know what they Not all of them. Some of them love it. But some of them would say, no. So those people in the older generation who... Who don't like the music style? Yeah, they're they're the ones held up as uh, the 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 creators and um, well holders of unity. Hmm. And yet, there's theology in how they do church so much so that I couldn't unite with them in the way they're doing church because their theology behind why they do what they do, their I can't unite behind it because it's contrary to what Scripture teaches. Huh. But here's what they would say. It's not about me. And this is... I think a book that I need to kind of re-plug here. Pastor Brian Wolfmuller's book, Has American Christianity Failed? That is worth the read in contradistinction to what it is that uh, we're hearing from Ashley Woolridge here. Church that's reaching my kids and my grandkids, and I will put up with anything if they are being pointed to Jesus Christ. Amen. Listen, some of us have a lot to learn from that group, and I want to thank any of you that are in that, that boat. Because you have kept the unity of our church because you've decided there's something more important than your personal preference. And it's Jesus. Thank you for role modeling that for us. I want to do an exercise here just to kind of make the point. On the count of three, here's what I want to do. I want everyone to shout out your favorite NFL team. You ready? You ready? One, two, three. Yeah. yeah. Some of you are so mad right now. You heard someone say something next year. Like, honey, let's go. Let's go right now. I can't believe it. They're playing the 49ers. He said 49ers. Can you believe? 
Okay, here, here, here's what we do. Count of three. I want you to just shout out, if you grew up with a denominational background or heritage, some of you would be none, but some of you did, whether it was Catholic or Baptist or Mormon or Buddhist or, you know, it could Methodist, Presbyterian, it could be a, a bunch. I had someone say to me one time, I said, hey, what kind of church do you grow up in? And he's like, well, I grew up Christer. And I was trying to play it cool, like, I, you know, I know a lot. And I was like, oh, Christer, yeah, tell me about that. He's like, well, that's, that's when you go to church on Christmas and Easter, you're a Christer. I was like, oh, yeah, 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 that, that, it's good. Like, count of three, you ready? One, two, three. Yeah. A lot of diversity. We have a lot of diversity on our campuses. Here's what I want you to do. On the count of three, I want you to just say one word. One, two, three. Wow. So all of those denominational differences, which are based on theology, none of them matter. Wow. That's not what scripture says. See the difference? There is power in unity. There is momentum in unity. There's something exponentially more. This is unity for the sake of unity. Forget how you define Jesus or the, the, you know, what it is that actually Jesus said or taught. Yeah, no, we're just going to just downplay every doctrinal and theological difference and we're just going to call for unity because unity is, well, that keeps momentum. Yeah, he's not exegeting any text now, is he? Or when we unify as a church, not in our differences, but in what we have in common, and that is who we're trying to lift up the name of Jesus. There are people in our world today being beheaded for the name of Jesus. They are dying. Their families are being killed in front of them for the name of Jesus. Do you think those people are sitting around in a holy huddle arguing about music styles? You know what the problem in the church and in America is, I believe? We've forgotten who our enemy is. Because when you understand who you're... Yeah, clearly you've forgotten who your enemy is. Satan is the father of lies. His, the people who do his work in the church are the ones who speak and spread lies and cause you to not hear the words of God or to abide in the words of Christ. And those lies are false doctrines and false teachings, false dreams and false visions. Enemy is who we're truly fighting against. It unifies you. And who we're fighting against is not the people around us. And it's not because of our personal preference, some power thing that we want. When you focus on what really matters, it makes all the difference. And here's how Paul helped the church in Corinth. Unify. He said this, and going on in chapter 2, verse 1, he says this. Hey, hey, you'll remember, friends, that when I first came to you, I deliberately kept it plain and simple. That's how the message translation puts it. I love it. He says, I kept it plain and simple when I came to you. Okay, what, what do you mean? He goes on. He says, first Jesus and who he is, then Jesus and what he did. Jesus crucified. Who Jesus is and what Jesus did. That's what should center us as a church, what we should be unified on. Here at CCV, so the second thing I want to tell you in your notes that will keep us unified, we say a statement, we say it this way. In the essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, love. What, what are the essentials? 
the essentials that we are going to unify around is who Jesus is and what Jesus did. That God sent his only son to here on earth to live a perfect life. And that he died for you. He died for me. And if we would put our trust and our faith in Jesus, you can be forgiven. You can spend eternity with, with Jesus someday in heaven. That's the essentials. What, what are the non-essentials that we should have liberty and let people disagree with us? And st- what, what are those things? There's a laundry list. Could you imagine if we went through all those? I mean, from everything, from strategies of the church to, you know, to, to the way we do our music, to, to different programs that we offer. I, I heard someone's strategies of the church. Uh-huh. It's like he's intentionally avoiding, you know, what scripture says about doctrine. Once you should, in a church, you should marry the mission, date the methods. I like that. Marry the mission of the church, Jesus. The date. methods always flow from doctrine. Always. The seeker-driven movement does what it does the met- methodologically because of their false belief that men are, are not born dead in trespasses and sins and their tacit denial of the doctrine of original sin. The methods, because things are going to change. What else are non-essentials? Tons of theological topics that we could all disagree on. I mean, speaking in tongues, non-essential. Was the earth created in a literal seven days? Non-essential. Doesn't matter if you get to go to heaven or not. You, yeah, so what the Bible teaches accurately regarding tongues doesn't matter. Just doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you're you believe in creation, you know, and it, it, it Jesus did, but it doesn't matter, you know. You believe. Can you get baptized in a speedo? <laughs> we would uh we would do it. We'd have to do it without anybody around. Okay, no, no kids, but it's a non-essential. Here's the key. Re- read this with me. In all things, love. In all things, love. Even when you disagree. That's where America's missing it. I like this quote by Dave Willis. He said, one of the truest signs of maturity is the ability to disagree with someone while still being respectful. The Apostle Paul, whom he touted at the beginning of the sermon as one who clearly was, you know, understood the importance of unity. And let me read a couple of passages for you. Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1, Paul says um, to Titus, There are many deceivers who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Well, this testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. Yeah, that doesn't sound like he was, um, uh, well, being respectful at all. And then Paul, same apostle, Galatians chapter 1, writing to the churches in Galatia who had come under the sway of the false teachers of the Judaizers, he says to them, Galatians 1 verse 6, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, not that there is another, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be damned. Yeah, that's what anathema means. And as we've said before, so I say again, if anyone's preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be damned. 
Yeah. Um, and Paul goes on to say of the Ju- to the Judaizers, I wish they would emasculate themselves. Clearly, um, Paul was immature because he was so disrespectful, so blunt in insisting on rebuking false teachers. Can we do that in our country? Can we do that in our churches? You ever thought about what's at stake if we as a church here at CCV don't stay unified? You ever thought about that? Jesus answered that for us in his last prayer on earth. He told us what's at stake if we don't have unity. Here's how he put it. His last prayer on earth, John chapter 17. He says, my prayer, he's just getting ready to die. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. In other words, Jesus says, hey God, I'm not just praying for my disciples sitting right in front of me. I want to pray for anyone in the future history of of, of earth that's going to believe in me through their message. Who's that? That's us. He was praying for us the night before he died. He goes on, he says, I pray that they'll be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, that they would be one, that they would be united. And then he goes on in verse 23 and he says, may they, my words, the church, be brought to what? Complete unity. And then in verse 21, he tells us what's at stake with unity. He says, so that, listen to these next words very carefully because this is what's on the line with unity. So that the world may what? Believe that you've sent me. Do you understand if we're not unified, the world out there who does not know Jesus cannot see him clearly? When we were doing that exercise... Yeah, in order for there to be unity, uh, people are going to have to repent of their false doctrine. Straight up. And if they won't repent, they have to be put out of the church. And the world needs to know that these people are deceivers and needs to warn people about their deception had you shout out your favorite NFL team or your denominational background. Do you understand? I couldn't. Most of you, you couldn't understand a thing that the people were saying around you or in the room. When we said the name of Jesus, it was crystal clear. That should be a picture for us of what we could accomplish in the church if we're unified. Listen, last year, researchers said 65 million Americans, 31% of our population is now a part of a group they call and labeled the Duns. They were a part of a church, and now they said, I'm done with that. In 2015, they said now 23% of Americans are part of a group they label the Nuns. They have no religious affiliation at all, including Christianity. They want nothing to do with Jesus. Why are people walking away from droves from the church? Could it be because when they look at the church, they see a divided church? Years ago, in Calgary, Canada, there was this event called the Calgary Stampede. They have it on a yearly basis. But this, this one year, they had this event where they had horses, and they had this event where they, could, they had a contest to see which horse could pull the most weight behind it. So all these horses entered from across Canada. The winning horse pulled 9,000 pounds behind him. 
The second place horse pulled just under 9,000 pounds. And so right before they were going to hand out prizes, the two owners of those two horses, the first and second place horse, got together and said, hey, before we hand out prizes, can we do a demonstration of what these two horses could do together pulling? Now, I'm not a mathematician, but easy math, they both carried about 9,000 pounds. It should be about 18,000 pounds they should be able to carry. Do you want to know how many pounds they carried behind them together? 27,000 pounds. Because when you have unity, you can do exponentially more. That's the way God designed the church in a... Yeah, again, this is unity for the sake of unity, and he's totally ignoring what Scripture says about the false teachers and the importance of sound doctrine. Totally ignoring that. And calling for a unity that Scripture actually forbids. In other words, I can't unite with him in this message because what he's saying is false. What he's saying is not actually coming from Scripture. He said that there was no definitive text in Scripture that defined where divisions come from. And yet I gave you a very clear definitive text in the epistle of Jude. What he's saying is not actually based upon sound exegesis of a biblical text. This is an unbiblical actually contrary to Bible definition of unity that we're hearing from Ashley. America to operate. And I'm telling you, there are few churches in America today that have more influence than CCV. And I believe the reason that God has positioned us the way he has for 34 years, we've seen God do amazing things in this church. And one of the reasons is because we've always had unity. We've never had a church split. We've tried to stay together around our mission of winning people to the name of Jesus Christ and training them to become disciples and then sending them out to impact our world. And we now have six campuses across the Phoenix Valley, soon to be seven in December when we open up our Midtown campus. We have to stay united because if we don't, we'll miss out on God telling stories in our midst like this. So we have to stay united, and then they go to a promotional uh, video, um, giving somebody's video testimony, yeah. Well, guys, I always like it when we get a chance to, to get together, and we were just talking about what a journey this has all been for us for the last five years to see all the campuses and to see us all together now here at our new Midtown campus. I think some of us could probably relate to what this campus looks like right now when, when we launch. Is that right? Yeah. It's yeah. awesome. I, I love it for many reasons out at the Surprise Campus. We've seen tremendous growth out where we're at, and it's just because people are stepping up in all kinds of ways. Uh, we've had an individual at our church that made it a goal of themselves to say that they're going to fill two rows of the auditorium by the end of the year. And it's been exciting for me because every week I get to take the stage, I get to see the progress that they're making. And it's just been fantastic to see people saying, hey, we want to step up and, and bring other people to the church. It's awesome. And you know what's incredible about that, Dennis, is our church has always been about reaching people who are far from God, people who need to know who Jesus is and what he's done for us. 
And for so many people, that's exactly how it starts is they get invited to church. And what's cool for us at the Peoria campus this year, we've seen God work in some incredible ways. This will be the first year ever at the Peoria campus where we see over 1,400 baptisms, um, which is which is crazy. A- another area where we've seen God really work in, um, in, in cool ways this year is in our student ministry. Our junior high ministry is up 15% over last year, and our high school ministry is up over 30% over this same time. See, they must have biblical unity because their, their numbers are way up. I mean, I feel like I'm in the in a boardroom, you know, as the as the uh, as the different corporate officers are giving their reports to the board of directors. Oh, we've got growth, 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 growth. See, that proves we're doing this right. Yet the sermon gave us a false definition of unity. Last year, man, they're those guys are doing a great job. Yeah, Dave, you mentioned baptisms. At the East Valley campus, we've seen a lot of life change, but one story that stands out is my friend Casey and his wife Tiffany. They attended Starting Point in January, and he comes up to me at the end of the class and he says, honestly, Eric, I just don't think I'm there yet. And I realized he meant he's just not a believer. So I asked if he'd be willing to meet with me, and he reluctantly agreed, and we started meeting. And over the last year, it's been meetings after meetings, questions and challenges and scripture and books. And what's most exciting is this weekend, I get to baptize him and then his wife is going to get baptized. But then they invited me back to their house because it's their 10 year anniversary. And they asked if I would renew their vows because this time they wanted to be sure that God was at the center of their marriage as it put Christ first in every area of their life. Really exciting time for us. Man, it's been an incredible year at the Avondale campus. Uh, We've seen our attendance go up 50%, our giving double this year. But one of our best stories comes out of our neighborhood ministry. A particular family, the wife was in her 30s. She had a stroke, and her neighborhood group just came around them and their family. And here, two years later, her and her... You are aware that even heretical churches can give numerical increase stories like this. Mm Mm-hmm. Muslim mosques uh, talk about the explosive growth that's going on at their mosques. Strange, isn't it? Lead one of our greeter teams, and they just, they emit James chapter 1, consider it pure joy when you face trials. And they just smile and have so much joy in their lives. And it's incredible just to see them every single week serving the Lord. You know, I'm really excited for our Anthem campus. We've been there now two and a half years and really seeing God doing some awesome things. And we're seeing growth in our, our kids' ministry, our student ministry, and our really our neighborhood groups. Our student ministry, in fact, our high schoolers have gone from a small high school room to now they're meeting in our adult venue every Sunday night, just killing it. And uh, because of that, we've expanded our auditorium this last month, over 30% bigger, 125 more chairs. And, and really, that's because people are taking ownership. They're inviting their friends, their neighbors, the community around them, the people they work with, taking ownership of our campus and really driving that growth. You know, a personal story that sticks out to me from our Scottsdale campus was a couple who had a a special needs kid and they ended up getting a divorce. And the dad wanted to bring his son to CCV because of our special needs ministry. So they started coming and eventually the ex-wife started coming with them. And it's so cool because this last summer, I remarried Sam and Lori. It was an amazing story. And it made me think about, you guys probably remember the Easter at the stadium. We showed a video and part of the video said families restored. And it just, just reminds me of that, how we all have those, those stories. And it's just amazing to see how God is working through our campuses and the future campuses that are coming down the road. You know, it's great that we're sitting here at the Midtown Auditorium. And it's hard to believe that we're a month and a half 
already from opening up this campus. We continue to hear stories every day from the local schools, our law enforcement officers. But one story that sticks out is about a lady who's come to a couple of our Midtown meetings. She took a stack of our cards, and recently one of our Midtown staff members was at a local art fair. And not only was this lady selling her products, but she was also passing out the invite cards that we gave her. So it's just a great example of not only do we want to be a part of a great campus, but really be intentional with going out to invite other people to come to church. Ross, man, that's incredible to to hear the excitement about the Midtown campus. It's already building. Uh, I think we're all excited about what God is going to do with this new campus. Yeah, so lots and lots of unity there at the uh, seeker-driven church in um, Phoenix. Um, The problem is the biblical definition of unity is totally missing here, and this is just kind of a you know, uh, a friendly update of all the great things that are happening uh, there, you know, from the guys who are all united together behind the vision of the visionary leader, whoever he is at at their church. But Ashley has not given anybody there a, uh, a biblical definition of unity. We continue. You know, when I, uh, when I hear those stories, here's what goes in my mind. I wonder what story God wants to tell next year or five years from now or 20 years from now in our church. Do you realize that story could involve your kids? It could be your neighbor. It could be a family member or a friend. But those stories in our future depend on a church that's unified. And not us just preaching about it, but every single one of us living it out. And so the takeaway today is this. Is there anything, we got to get personal here, is there anything that you need to de-emphasize so the church can be united? Wow. The biblical texts that I read out from the New Testament teach us the things we need to emphasize, re-emphasize, and tenaciously emphasize in order for there to be true unity. His solution is just de-emphasize everything. Wow. And stay united. Can I pry a little bit? Maybe there's something you you don't quite prefer around here. You do it differently. Maybe it is the music. Are are you okay if something like that, like never changed as long as people are being pointed towards Jesus? It wouldn't be your preference. I hope so. Maybe this week it's boiled up in you that, man, you, you you get so much angst when someone has a different political view than you do, yet they're still a follower of Jesus. Can you unite with people that don't see the same way you do politically? You better. You know why? Because if you don't, here's what you're saying. You're saying this. What happens in the White House is more important than what happens in God's house. Which is not true. What about this? You you ever talk badly about another church? Maybe a church down the street or church you pass because they don't do it just like CCV does. Don't ever do that. If a church lifts up Jesus, we're on the same team. And we, are, we help churches across the valley and across the country almost every single day of the week because we're on the same team. How about this? Is there some theological issue or something that you've... Well, if you got honest, you've latched onto it so hard that maybe you've even elevated over who the person of Jesus is. I mean, it's not an essential. I want to talk to, to a specific group of you. Some of you, maybe you've latched onto something. Maybe it's in the Old Testament. Maybe it's something to do with Judaism. Look, I, I, I'm a student of that as well, and it's awesome. But it sounds to me like they're being plagued by the Hebrew roots heresy. 
Mm-hmm. Careful, you don't latch on to a theological idea or concept or something you read in Scripture, and you don't elevate that thing over who Jesus is and what Jesus did. Mm-hmm. Yet, who Jesus is and what he did, that's all theology revealed in Scripture. For some of you, maybe it is a personality that you've latched on to. Or maybe it's someone you don't like. Don't ever talk down or bad in the church about someone else. Whether it's someone at the church or another pastor. And here's why. Because God can speak to you through anyone. In Numbers chapter 22, God spoke through a donkey. He can speak through a donkey. He can speak through anyone to you. (laughs) But listen, whatever it is, I'm just telling you, if we will stay united as a church, God will move in this church for the next 34 years the same way he has the previous 34 years. Mm, yeah, so yeah. We, we, we need to be united around de-emphasizing doctrine and theology. Right. Despite the fact the biblical texts say the exact opposite. Keep making Jesus' last prayer on earth our first priority. Let's pray. Nope. Not going to let you pray. Wow. That was a mess. Yep. And totally the opposite of what Scripture says. So who are you going to believe? Ashley Woolridge? Or are you going to believe Paul and Jude and John? They were inspired authors. You know, they literally wrote Scripture under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What um, what Ashley Woolridge did there is the exact opposite, said the exact opposite of what the Holy Spirit said through John, Jude, and Paul. Peter makes the same points in Second Peter. You should read it. Yeah. Yeah, this is unity for the sake of unity rather than true Christian unity. Very sad. Sad indeed. What would you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard, on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash fire Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there at fire Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.